Please be seated for our readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It can be found on page 798 in the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we read of Ezekiel's first vision of the divine throne chariot symbolizing God's glory. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Kebar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jeokin. The word of the Lord came to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kebar, and the hand of the Lord was on him there. As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the middle of the fire, something like gleaming amber. In the middle of it was something like four living creatures. This was their appearance. They were of human form. Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and their soles of the feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them moved straight ahead, without turning as they moved. As for the appearance of their faces, the four had the face of a human being, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Each, mo each moved straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. In the middle of the living creatures, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. The fire was bright and lightning issued from the fire. The living creatures darted to and fro like a flash of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same form, their construction being something like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without veering as they moved. Their rims were tall and awesome, for the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels moved beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. 
Wherever the spirit would go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When they moved, the others moved. When they stopped, the others stopped. And when they rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was something like a dome, shining like crystal, spread out above their heads. Under the dome, their wings were stretched out straight, one towards another, and each of the creatures had two wings covering its body. When they moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of mighty waters, like the thunder of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the dome, over their heads. When they stopped, they let down their wings. And above the dome, over their heads, there was something like a throne in appearance, like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was something that seemed like a human form. Upwards from what appeared like the loins, I saw something like gleaming amber, something that looked like fire enclosed all around, and downwards from what looked like the loins, I saw something that looked like fire, and there was a splendor all around, like the bow in a cloud on a rainy day. Such was the appearance of the splendor all round. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The gospel reading is taken from John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. It can be found on page 98 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, we hear of the glory of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart who's made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. When you came in, you should have been given one of these. 
Now, the important thing to remember about one of these is feel free to write on them, feel free to scribble on them, feel free also to bring them back next week and the week after and the week after and the week after and the week after because we're doing Ezekiel for the next six weeks and you will find this piece of paper incredibly helpful, hopefully, as we go along, basically. So shall we pray together? So Lord, as the prophet Ezekiel said, would you anoint these lips with the seal of your spirit that my mouth would speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. That your spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity. In you we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last week, we met briefly the prophet Ezekiel as we explored God's call upon his life. Today, we begin, if you like, a a series of over the next six weeks looking at the book of Ezekiel. I don't know when it was the last time that you ever heard a series on the book of Ezekiel. But it's actually, as you maybe have just gathered from that reading this morning, one of the hardest to understand. As one scholar wrote that I read this week, it's full of majesty obscurity and difficulty. You know, it contains these strange visions as we heard this morning, these puzzling images. But that doesn't mean that we should be put off, neither should we ignore or dismiss the book. For the 20 to 25 of us who've been gathering either on a Tuesday morning or a Tuesday evening, one of the things that kind of has filled me with joy at the moment, if you like, is how from beginning perhaps with apprehension and uncertainty, more of a collective confidence has arisen and grown in both groups as we've seen through learning from the text and from one another how we can apply this book and understand its message for our lives today. And if you don't believe me, you can ask them for for yourselves. You see, because to me, the Old Testament prophetic books more and more have more and more relevance than any other part of the Bible to what it means to live as followers of Jesus Christ today. It's why if we'll engage with this book, you, each of us, will discover timely benefits of what it means to live in the light of God's presence. Just think with me for a moment. Think with me, rack your brains, basically, for the best example that you can think of of a Christian over the past 100 years? Is it not our late queen, Elizabeth? You know, eight months ago to this very day, we gathered in this place to celebrate her platinum jubilee. And you, you might remember from that service, or you might have forgotten, there was a Bible verse that I chose to, if you like, sum up the whole of her reign. And the Bible verse that I chose was the one from the Old Testament prophets. We've said it already in this service. The Old Testament equivalent of the greatest commandment in the words of the prophet Micah as he framed it in a rhetorical question. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. If you like, if you want a summary of the book of Ezekiel, that is is it. If you want a summary of what the best way is to live as a Christian today in our world, that 
is it. You see, the role of a prophet was this. Here's my definition. You've got it written down. You've heard me say this before. I kind of made it up myself. This is what they did. They stood in the gap and they provided a map to God for the people by their messages, by their actions, and by their prayers. They were God's messengers, firstly. They spoke the words of God to the people. You know, if we, as we go through this book, we'll hear these phrases repeatedly. Declares the sovereign Lord, or this is what the sovereign Lord says. It occurs over 200 times in the book of Ezekiel. Or you'll hear the phrase, the word of the Lord came to me nearly 50 times. The prophets, they spoke the messages of God. They also though, and this is part of the difficulty for us, isn't it? They demonstrated, if you like, God's actions. You know, they did these weird sign acts, if you like, these strange symbolic stunts, which to, to us seem weird, even bizarre, possibly creepy. You know, as we saw last week, Ezekiel takes this scroll of scripture and eats it in order to understand that he has to absorb it into his life before he goes and proclaims it. If you would read on in the next couple of chapters in Ezekiel, we'll see how Ezekiel lies on his left side, bound in ropes for 390 days to kind of symbolize the siege in Jerusalem as he does that in the middle of the city. He kind of takes a sword and cuts off all his hair and his beard to symbolize Israel's coming exile. He'll do more weirder things than that. Believe you me, if you you read the first seven chapters of Ezekiel, you'll find that out. You know, the prophets, they demonstrated God's actions and also though they were devoted in their prayers. You know, just... Think about it for a moment. You know, when Ezekiel prayed, as we'll look through this book, you almost get this sense that you're encountering the power and the presence of God, almost as if the words that he was praying were the very words of God. You know, by their prayers, by their actions, by their messages, they provided this gap. They provided the gap between God and the people and they provided a map so the people could understand who God is. And so let's move on. Here's the most single most helpful thing that I've ever understood about the Old Testament prophets. You know, it took me, well, 18 years of my life to understand this. So I'm giving this to you for, for free this morning. You can see it in the top left-hand side of the, the sheet that you've got in front of you. This is the single most helpful thing that I've ever found out about the Old Testament prophets. If you want to understand the Old Testament prophets, you have to understand that it all goes back to the Exodus story. 800 years before, the book of Deuteronomy, as Israel is camped on the plains of Moab. You know, let's just do a bit of Old Testament history, you know, big picture stuff. You know, the Old Testament is bookended, isn't it, by two events. You've got it almost right at the start. You've got, if you like, the Exodus story. The 40-year journey the, the Israelites take from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. And towards the other end, you've got the exile. The 70-year period where most of Israel is exiled off and banished to Babylon. In the Exodus, if you like, the plains in Moab, what it represented, if you like, was the last stop. 
This was the last stop on the 40-year journey. And they can see the land of milk and honey as it was described within their eye shot over the water. And Moses speaks to them there. What Moses says, if you like, is what's contained in the book of Deuteronomy, either as one long or a series of shorter sermons, as he renews and extends the Mosaic covenant that was first given on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And now, 800 years later, the Israelites are on the verge of exile, as Ezekiel speaks to them. Why? Because of their own failure to follow God's covenant. The two reasons for that, idolatry, as we'll see next week, as the Israelites lusted and, if you like, hoard after foreign gods, and injustice, their treatment of what is known as the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow in those days. That is the central message of the Old Testament prophets. You've got the quote there that helps you understand. It's what Micah 6, 8 verse actually means, isn't it? By living the text out, we overcome idolatry and injustice. And if we remember this one central idea as we go through this book, we will have a far greater meaning of it. And so we come to Ezekiel, this priest. If we look at the timeline in the top right-hand side there, we could see how Ezekiel is one of the latter prophets we could see how his prophecies occur over a 20-year period, before, during, and after the fall of Jerusalem. Ezekiel himself had been living in Jerusalem during the first Babylonian attack on the city. You can read about that in 2 Kings 24. That time, the Babylonians spared the city. But what they did was they carted off, if you like, hauled off, a whole tranche, if you like, of people, including Ezekiel, and put them in exile in Babylon. That's what he's doing in Babylon before Jerusalem has actually fallen. And five years later, this is, if you like, five years later, that's where we get to in our reading this morning. Ezekiel finds himself, doesn't he, among the exiles in his refugee camp by the river in Babylon. If you like, it's around his 30th birthday and Ezekiel experiences the magnificence, yet at times bewildering vision that we see this morning. This vision that we can see is God riding his royal throne chariot. Yet even for Ezekiel, he can't almost believe his eyes at, at what he's seeing. If you heard Judy read it, you know you might have been struggling a bit with the text because Ezekiel was struggling to articulate in words what he was actually seeing. It's why some have tried to draw this image, basically. And if you look over leaf on the other side of the A3, yeah, it's double-sided, Basically, you will see an image there in the top left-hand side, but don't look at that for now. Have a look at it later. You might want to draw it. You could, you could maybe draw it better. Basically, just see what you see from there, but perhaps better to understand how it is God that we're seeing is to look at it in four parts. There's the storm. There's the living creatures. There's the wheels. 
And then there's the throne. You see, here's why we get this image. Here's why Ezekiel kind of got to the realization that it was God. Here's the first thing. Firstly, the storm. Ezekiel describes, doesn't he, in verse 4, this great cloud with flashing fire. You see, to the Israelites, both were physical signs of God's presence. You know, the Exodus story. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. The dense cloud falls. Thunder and lightning is going on in the sky. Or think about the tabernacle later in the Exodus story when the cloud fell on the tabernacle. Or there was fire in the cloud by night and the Israelites only moved when the cloud moved. Or remember, if you like the great hymn, let the fiery cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. There's the storm that gives us an idea that this is the presence of God that Ezekiel is here. Secondly, there's this description of the living creatures, which Ezekiel will later call cherubim in chapter 10, who hold up this throne chariot, don't they? They're angels. Don't think of cherubims as as kind of like they were described in the 16th, 17th century like little babies. These are God's mighty warriors. You know, we read with four faces, four wings, four sides. You know, probably depicting the idea that they can go to any of the four corners of the earth. But it's the appearance of their faces which is significant. It's why Ezekiel also saw this as a vision of God on the one side, the face of the human, the crown of God's creation. Then on the next, the lion. It's the highest and strongest of the wild animals. Then the ox is the highest and strongest of the domestic animals. And then the eagle as the swiftest and most stately of the birds. To the Israelites, these were images that were well known. They were the images that guarded or supported a deity. And so you have the living creatures, we have the storm, and then we come to the wheels, don't we? You know, some people have a fascination with wheels, don't they? You know, you buy a new car and then you change the wheels. And these wheels are just incredible, aren't they? They move horizontally and then also vertically. They move in any direction without turning and because they're powered and propelled, we read, and piloted by the living spirit, the spirit of God. If you like, what the wheels represent is they show us there's no place God cannot go. No destination he cannot reach. Even Babylon This place that was hell for Ezekiel, if you like. And even at that precise moment, if that confuses him. And then, if you like, the final part that shows us that it's God is who's on the throne. Who's on this chariot, this image of a human, albeit in glowing fiery splendor, who speaks You know, if you like, Ezekiel is now left in no doubt that the doors of heaven have been flung open before his eyes and he's seeing God in all of his glory and he falls, if you like, face down. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Yet even as he's lying prostrate there, 
in front of the Almighty, he's still confused, perhaps even shocked. This is what's confusing him. What is God's glory? What is God's presence doing alive and well on the throne of all places, Babylon? See, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod. It means weight or substance. It means when we see the glory of God, it means the presence of God, if you like, the physical manifestation of God. And Ezekiel is, if you like, seeing the majesty of God in front of his eyes, and he's just filled with awe. Because that's what happens when you encounter the presence of God. It was that glory that Moses experienced on Mount Sinai, and then in the tabernacle. It was God's glory that subsequently Solomon experienced as he builds this great temple and dedicates it, and the glory of God fell. The tabernacle, the temple, were the places where God dwelt, if you like. It was the place where heaven met earth. And now in Ezekiel's vision, what he sees is the glory of God appears to him in old places, Babylon. It's not meant to happen. It was a reminder to him and the Israelites that God's not dead, nor is he sleeping, nor is he restricted to one particular place. He's living and active and on the move. And so as we look at this vision, I wonder what image of God comes out to you. Is it his transcendence? Perhaps his sovereignty? Maybe his holiness? Yet he's near. He's not absent, but alive and present in the midst of the suffering. In another spectacular opening to a book of the Bible, the gospel writer John, knowing the Ezekiel story, describes how God came to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ and the words that John used to describe Jesus coming to be with us was he said and he came and he tabernacled with us if you like he pitched his tent with us and John would go on to describe how that in that act we have seen his glory the glory of a father's only son and then later In his gospel, John would say that the crowning moment of Jesus' glory was when we understood not only that God was with us, but also for us. As Jesus is lifted up and he suffers and dies in exile from God on the cross. But just as the prophet Ezekiel saw in his vision of God with judgment, there is hope. And so the gospel writer John also experienced the glory of the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit after the judgment of the cross. And we too now, as God's followers, know that God is not only with us and for us, but now he is in us through experiencing Pentecost and the birth of the church. And now as his church, his bride, what does he call us to be? He calls us And he wants to work through us to reveal his glory, to be his presence in the world. How? By being full of the weight of his substance. 
the weight of his glory, if you like. What that looks like to me is full of grace and truth. Because grace without truth is meaningless. Smacks of compromise. Truth without grace is mean, it's judgmental. Grace and truth is medicine. The medicine of God's love. It's why if Ezekiel's vision means anything to us today, we're to live out those words of Micah 6.8, the people of the greatest commandment who reveal the manifestation of God, the presence of Jesus in the world because what did the early church father Irenaeus said? The glory of God is a human being fully alive, saved by Jesus Christ. How we do it is the challenge. And so here are three quick thoughts to take with us. If you like, one, two, three. One, stay hungry for God. What did Ezekiel do? Remember last week? He ate the scroll. Eat the book. You know, here's not what I'll tell you. Here's not what theologians will tell you. Here's what scientists will tell you. You read this book four times at least a week. The impact upon your life in terms of living a fulfilled and glory-fulfilled life goes off the scale. Eat the book. Stay hungry for God. Secondly, press in for a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. You see, Ezekiel is known as the prophet of the Spirit. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Are the repeated words of Ezekiel. It means that we just repeatedly need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives each day. Invite the presence of God into our lives because you have to encounter the glory to reveal the glory. Remember Moses? Shone, his face shone in the presence of God. And we reveal the presence of God in our lives through the evidence of his work in our lives. We eat the book. We stay hungry for God. We press him for a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. And here's the third one. Ezekiel feared God rather than he feared man. I don't know whoever said it, but they're so right. The best gift we can give the world is our personal holiness. To be the people of repentance, of change, of integrity and humility who set themselves apart to live differently. If you like, that's a Jesus-filled life of grace and truth. So Lord, would you help us over these coming weeks as we look at these majestic visions, as we explore Ezekiel's prayers, as we look at his sign acts, as we hear his messages, would you help each one of us to stay hungry for you? To press in for a deeper experience of your Holy Spirit and to fear you above all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.